0: Welcome to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, the podcast that travels back in time to review classic episodes of Jim Crockett Promotions Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as it appears on the NBC Universal Streaming Service Peacock, as well as internationally on the WWE Network. My name is Mike Sempervivi, and I'm being joined by Roman Gomez. And if you're out there listening to us and want to follow along but don't have access to Peacock or the network, you can still do so by heading over to the TheMightyMidAtlanticGateway.com and checking out David Tobbs' reviews of these classic shows. The Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast has social media on several platforms. By far, we're the most active on Twitter, but we have a Facebook, Instagram page, and more. Just search at Mid Atlantic Pod and look for the logo. We're also available on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod. Where you can find podcasts and other content exclusive to the page, please subscribe, watch, and like the videos. It would be doing us a great service. And finally, like everyone else on the planet, we also have a Patreon, which you can find at Patreon.com/slash/MidAtlanticPodcast. Now, with all that out of the way, today in episode number fifty-four, we take a look at the television that was taped on Wednesday, February second, nineteen eighty-three, at the WPCQ studios. Channel 36 in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing in local markets beginning that weekend of Saturday, February 5th, 1983. I'd like to bring in my co-host right now, Roman Gomez. Roman, how are you today? I'm doing
1: good, Mike. Looking forward to talking about this week's episode and uh, getting a little bit closer to the road to Greensboro. I'm getting excited about that.
0: Absolutely. And this week's show opens up with a match being joined in progress from, quote, a large Southern arena, which was actually the Charlotte Coliseum from January 30th. We see the last 100 seconds of Greg the Hammer Valentine successfully defending the United States Heavyweight Championship against the champ, which was Brian Blair under a mask. This would be a temporary stay for Blair as he'd start up in Georgia by the end of the month. We saw the champ get some offense in, but Valentine caught him on a Fez press attempt, which turned into a hot shot over the top rope. Valentine got the pin, and we faded back to Bob Cottle, who was alongside Paul Jones. So, Roman, Uh, we didn't know it in the moment, but we would be seeing a lot of what took place on January 30th at the Charlotte Coliseum. And we heard the champ was coming into town. We got to see him, and he takes a loss even though we got some offense in there to Greg the Hammer Valentine.
1: Yeah, I was a little disappointed in the length of the match. I mean, Brian Blair is a good enough worker where they definitely could have showed more of this match and to constantly say from a large Southern arena, I'm kind of surprised that they wouldn't want to mention that it was a Charlotte Coliseum. You know, that was one of their mainstays.
0: That's true, but they were also going with several of these matches around the circuit, so they never wanted, I guess, tip their hand too much, although... Even though fans may have not have known at the time, how cool was it that you got to see matches that took place less than a week ago on your Saturday afternoon program? And it must have been a formal event when we actually started the show, and Bob Cottle was standing there. He was standing alongside number one Paul Jones, who was holding on to the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Championship belt and wearing a black tuxedo. Jones says it's the man that makes the tux and that he is the epitome of class. He tells us that Jack Briscoe is no longer the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion, but he does not mention who he lost it to. And if you weren't in Charlotte last Sunday afternoon, you may not realize it was not Paul Jones. But we'll get back to that. The show went to break, and when we got back, we got another match joined in progress from last Sunday in Charlotte. This time around... It's the dynamic duo of Dusty Rhodes and Roddy Piper against the not-so-dynamic duo of Larry Red Dog Lane and the aforementioned number one Paul Jones. We see exactly one minute of the match. Rhodes knocks Lane down with a bionic elbow, then sort of delivers another one down on top of him, although it's really just more of a big splash. Nevertheless, he gets the pin. Afterward, Piper grabs the house mic, and makes a call for Dick Slater. That leads to all hell breaking loose, as Bob Cottle will explain here.
2: Well, fans, after that match and that tag team win, you saw Roddy Piper in the ring calling and waving for Dick Slater. Slater was in the building. He wanted Slater to come down. He wanted Dick Slater to get in that ring. He wanted to end it all right there. Well, that's what he was doing, and here's what happened a little later on. Dick Slater did come charging into the ring, and he and Roddy Piper now really go at each other. (laughs) Dory Funk is in there. Dory Funk Jr. Here is Valentine. Here is Dusty Rhodes in, trying to give Roddy Piper a little help. When Slater came in, he brought three or four more with him, and now they're going to double-team. It's Valentine who's going to hold Dusty Rhodes. Dory Funk Jr. has got Valentine. Piper and slams Piper through the ropes and out of the ring now. All three are on Dusty Rhodes at this point. Here comes Piper back in. And Slater off of the top rope with a knee right down across the back and the neck of Roddy Piper. And now Valentine and Slater both attack Piper as he's on the mat and here's Funk now who has Dusty Rhodes. The main target in this certainly appears to be Roddy Piper, as he has double teamed at every chance. It looked like Slater, it looked like Piper, and it looked like Funk. It looked like all of them, if possible, really wanted to hurt Roddy Piper. Well, that's what happened.
0: So there's the evil trinity in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling coming together to attack the biggest baby face in the area. Dick Slater answered Roddy Piper's challenge but Piper's other enemy, Greg Valentine and Dory Funk Jr. were lingering in the shadows, ready to swarm. Dusty Rhodes came back out to try to help turn the tide. But Roman, all heck continues to break loose wherever Piper is.
1: Yeah, you know, Piper calls out Slater, and he wanted a one-on-one, and Slater wasn't going to have that. Slater brought his cronies, you know, Valentine and Dory, and added a little excitement to it, but... Uh, Piper's going to be hell-bent on revenge. He's, he's going to want to get his hands on Slater, and uh, I'm pretty sure you got the interview that's coming up where uh, he's challenging Slater again.
0: Absolutely, and without any other further ado, here is the Rowdy one.
2: Dick Slater and this man right here. You saw him going at each other, and you saw a lot of other guys in the ring. Here is Roddy Piper.
3: You're
0: getting real simple
3: here. What we're talking about here is very simple. They've tried to ban me from all kinds of places. They try to do all kinds of things to me. And nothing has worked. (laughs) They try to keep me off TV. They try to keep me off radios. They have Dick Slater coming up and kicking me in the face. (laughs) Yeah. But that's okay. That's okay for Dick Slater to come down here and be on TV. And it's okay to bar me from TV because I come up and I slap him upside the head. Yeah. That's okay, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Slater. Mr. Valentine, that's fine with me. If you want to get down and you want to do some fighting, you know, I've had the wind knocked out of my sails plenty of times, man. I've had them down there on the dirt. I know what it's like to eat out of garbage cans, man. I know what it's like to sit there on the street and do nothing. I know what it's like to fight they want me to sit down here and be calm and be just a little nice little girl that walks around and does nothing Yeah, yeah. why well, you're wrong mister so I'm telling you simple and plain give it your best shot or don't bother shooting at all man
0: go to war you bet and we ain't even saddled our ponies yet Roddy Piper you never throw rocks at a guy carrying a machine gun Greg Valentine, Dick Slater number one in the sights of Roddy Piper, Roman.
1: What a great closing line. Give it your best shot or don't bother shooting at all. It got me fired up. I wanted to see Piper and Slater right after that interview.
0: Unfortunately, we did not get to see that, but 10 minutes into the show, we finally get our first studio match. Not too bad. It's Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against Rick Harris and Ken Timms. Our referee for the day is Tommy Young. And at the risk of sounding like a broken record, this was the classic Steamboat and Youngblood television match. It went eight minutes and six seconds and featured a lot of back and forth action with Timbs and Harris made to look very competitive throughout the bout. Youngblood tried to put Tim's down at the end with chops, but when that failed, he locked in the sleeper that was taught to him by Johnny Weaver and Tommy Young. Called for the bell Roman. I liked that. You know, it was like, man, Tim's and Harris, they were kicking out of things. They were getting a lot of time and Steamboat and Youngblood. They hit him with a double chop. Youngblood came down with a chop. We've seen that end matches before, but Tim's kicked out, not missing a beat. Youngblood picked him up, whipped him in the ropes, locked in the sleeper. Just another thing shown to all the fans out there that they have in their repertoire as we lead toward this final match with Slaughter and Carnoodle.
1: And, you know, all the tools they have in their repertoire, like you alluded to, and some of them were taught to them by somebody else. So that
0: might just come into play down the road. After the match, Steamboat and Bud join Bob to continue their war of words against the NWA World Tag Team Champions, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Curnoodle. Obviously, they just wrestled a match, so a little bit winded, but... Still in pretty good shape, considering it's Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Here you go.
2: Ringside, you just saw him in action in that ring, Rick Steamboat, Jay Youngblood. Rick, I tell you, it's unbelievable, but you guys, you get better every time
4: I see you in the ring. Well, we've been training real, real hard, at least devoting at least a couple hours a day, even with the hard schedule that we are trying to keep yeah. up with, trying to keep our minds in perspective with the fact that we're trying to obtain the world tag belts. Which has been very, very difficult. They've been doing so many things to Jason and myself behind the referee's back. Going so far as doing a lot of things behind the NWA's back. That a lot of the fans have stood up and take notice mm-hmm. and they're starting to speak out of themselves because of the fan mail that Jason and myself have been reading. The fans understand the circumstances and the situation. It's just gonna to have to come to a head someday. But what we wanna say right here now is that well, regardless of whatever outlook or whatever it comes out of this world tag team situation, that Youngblood and myself are not gonna back down from anybody. As a matter of fact, we issue challenges every time we get on television to slaughter and canoodle any they wanna meet. Right. I wish that for once that they'd expose themselves and get out here and wrestle us on national TV so that if they try anything, that we can get to the NWA, we can get it on film, we can have an instant replay, we can show it back, and everybody will take a first-hand look and an eyeball on television screen actually what kind of world tag team champions these guys are really are. Now, no telling what Jason and I might reframe to doing once we get the belts, but I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, we can represent the people at the best way we know how as world tag team champions. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure and we're not gonna dodge anybody or use any fast little quickie behind the, behind the back tactics to uh, keep the world tag belts. We've won them, we've lost them, and we've won them back, and we've lost them, and we've won them back, and we've lost... But the thing that reminds in our minds, we can still get them back and we can still win them.
2: Jay, and I tell you, just watching in there, you're going to be ready whenever that match comes. You two guys are really going to be ready for it.
5: Well, I'll tell you what, we've been chasing these guys. You know, they are not allowed in here at the same time we are in the studio because of all the ruckus that's been happening between Slaughter, Canoodle, and Rick and myself. I mean, it, it's gotten where the promotion is almost making us just quit. But I'll tell you what, Slaughter, Cranoodle, we're still coming after, and you saw an example with the sleeper.
0: And that's it right here in ringside. So there we hear from Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, and after a break we come back with Bob and Paul Jones commenting over the VTR of last Sunday's Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Title Defense by Jack Briscoe against Dory Funk Jr. in Charlotte. Here we'll listen to the closing moments where number 1's interference leads to Briscoe's demise. Following the match, you almost hear the demise of the promo itself. Paul Jones makes a mess of his time. Maybe I'm being a little bit too hard on number 1, but you'll have some fun with this, and when we come back, we'll get Roman's thoughts on the whole deal. Corey Funk Jr. now with that spinning toehold, and Briscoe
2: grabs a leg off of his feet, and down he goes, and Briscoe now has got him in that figure four. Funk reaches back, manages to grab the ropes, and Briscoe is finally going to give it up. He didn't want to give that hold up, and Funk grabs him by the hair and the head and pulls him through the ropes, and look at this. Here is Paul Jones now, who is attacking. Briscoe slams him into the post and rolls him back into the ring. And Briscoe is just about out after being slammed hard into that post. And outside of the ring, here is Paul Jones now. I'll tell you something, Bob. Briscoe had no business on the floor. I was just there to give Mr. Funk just a little moral support. All right, Funk right here grabbed him, rolled him up into the package. And he's going to pin Jack Briscoe right there. But Briscoe, no doubt in my mind that Briscoe was hurt. He had to be confused and he had to be badly hurt after being slammed into that post by Paul Jones Paul Dory Funk
6: is the new mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion a man deserves to be the champion because a man is a winner he's definitely a winner without a doubt I did not find Dory Funk I did not make him a winner he was a winner but let me tell you something right now let's see what uh how much time do I have here?
2: <laughs> Paul, how much time do you think you're going to need? I mean, to tell the fans really about you and about Dory Funk.
6: Well, let me tell you something. I'll come back later and tell you a little bit more, okay?
2: All right, fans. In the ring, Dory Funk Jr. in the ring right here, Tommy Gilbert. Let's watch the action right here.
6: Proud man. talk about confidence. Any man that could they would put up $100,000 and he would give to any man that could beat him. The man that would have to have a lot of confidence in his wrestling ability and, and all of his ability. And I want to tell people right now, my association with Dory Funk Jr. I am the president of Dory Funk And furthermore, I handle all of his assets. I, I, I handle his cattle farm in Texas. I handle his all, his all wells. As far as wrestling, I'm an advisor. I do a lot of things as far as wrestling for Dory Funk Jr. This leaves him with 24 hours a day to think only about his opponents. I handle all the mental work. I take all the mental strength off of Dory Funk. And you tell me how strong and how tough a man can be if all he's got to think about is
0: wrestling. All right, a whole lot to unpack here. Paul Jones makes the announcement to everyone that Dory Funk Jr. has defeated Jack Briscoe last week in Charlotte. We then see Paul Jones, the interference in that match, which caused Briscoe's demise and caused Dory Funk Jr. to become the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. Jones is now wearing a tuxedo. He's wearing a tuxedo because now he is the manager of Dory Funk Jr.'s affairs. So, Roman, um, there's a lot going on here. Uh, We will know because we're recording this show 30 years after the fact that Sir Oliver Humperdinck would end up coming back to the area, but this seems like a gigantic 180 for the career of Paul Jones, and it looks like we've got a transition here. Uh, of managers going on
1: yeah and first of all let me say i would have loved to have seen more of the dory funk briscoe i mean two absolute legends you know they give us a little snippet paul jones interfering throwing briscoe into the steel ring post helping dory funk jr win the mid-atlantic title and as you recall earlier on in the episode paul jones never said he was the champion he came out with the belt he just said that briscoe was not the champion so now that kind of planted the seed a little bit, and now Paul Jones is going to be the advisor of Dory Funk. So Dory can not only concentrate on defending the Mid-Atlantic title, he can concentrate on the $100,000 challenge, and supposedly Paul Jones is going to make Dory Funk Jr.'s life a little little easier. He's going to take the load off a little bit by being his advisor, his consultant, so to speak.
0: There was not a botcha mania in 1983, but if there was, there would have been that interview by Paul Jones, which led into the match with Dory Funk, as we had a little bit of a cross-up on time there as a, just a great deadpan by an amused Bob Cottle, you know, it's not really a deadpan, but in all shucks way of saying hey, Paul, well how much time are you going to need? <laughs> <laughs> it was, was a
1: great reaction by Coddle because that was when well, I cringed when he goes, well how much time do we have? I'm like, oh gosh, are we going to drag this out for 10 minutes? But just Coddle's reaction, who and- You know, it was a little bit sarcastic there. Like, well, how much time do you need? Uh, I thought that was kind of funny by Bob.
0: Poor Paul Jones, as Jim Cornette will always uh, relive the memory of. I've got a song in my heart, and I'm going to sing it. Whatever exactly that meant. But (laughs) bottom line here, Dory Funk Jr. won the match with a vertical suplex in three minutes and 27 seconds over Tommy Gilbert. But... The big news is, as Jones would say during the match, he would not be a Dory Funk flunky, but instead would serve as Funk's manager. It was then time for a promo. In lieu of our local spot, it's the champs, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle who are standing alongside Private Jim Nelson, who is at attention in the background. That interview will flow into the studio where United States champion Greg Valentine, Dick Slater, and the one-man gang will all speak their piece. Dick Slater comes up with some new math, by the way, but we'll, we'll get to that after the fact. Here we go. Mistakes,
3: mistakes, mistakes. Steamboat Youngblood, you made the biggest mistake in your life. The Sarge's hat's still missing, and he's hot. He's really hot, and nobody knows him any better than I do when he's hot. Tell him, Sarge. Well, a lot of you maggots out there might think that because I've... My hat is missing that I've lost my authority. Well, I haven't lost my authority. I'll no. stand attention, man. Yes, sir. Have you found my hat yet? No, sir. You haven't found my hat? No, sir. Well, keep looking. Steve and Youngblood, I know you've got my hat. And the sooner you bring that hat back, the sooner you'll be able to sleep at night. The sooner you'll be able to walk down the streets with safety. Because nobody takes my hat. You can look at my face. My nose has been broke. I've got many stitches in my head since last week going after that hat. Steve on Youngblood, you better return it or it's curtains.
0: Roman, I'll go ahead and pause it right there real quick before we get Greg Valentine coming into the scene just because great intensity by Sergeant Slaughter. And... It really should be noted for people who are only listening on podcast and could not see what was going on with Private Jim Nelson as Sergeant Slaughter berated him, asking him about the hat, took his hat off of his head, screamed at him. It's going to be notable because of, obviously, what happens with Jim Nelson in the future.
1: Yeah, I I noticed that, too. You know, you hadn't seen Private Nelson accompany Slaughter and Canoodle in a while. And all of a sudden, he's there, just basically like to be the whooping boy, you know. Slaughter's yelling at him, and have you seen what happened to my hat? And and uh, berating him, and just kind of like in an almost accusatory fashion, the way how he was
0: doing it. And uh, Slaughter was not happy that his hat was missing. We'll go ahead here and pick up where we left off. United States heavyweight champion Greg Hammer Valentine, followed by Dirty Dick Slater and the One Man Gang. Fans, here's the U.S. champ right here, Greg Valentine. Greg, still with that championship
2: belt.
7: Five long months, Bob Cottle. I've held this title, and it hasn't been easy, but I'm not complaining, you understand, because I thrive on competition. Now, I said here last week and the week before that I'm going to be the greatest United States heavyweight champion of all time. All the people got to do right now instead of just listening to you, Bob Cottle, although you are an excellent announcer. All they got to do is go to their local drugstore, 7-Eleven, pick up one of those magazines that come out of New York, and listen to what they read, what they have to say about me, about how I am already the greatest United States champion of all time. As you can see, everybody gets out here and says that they are great. But I have the proof of the pudding right here. I went through Wahoo McDaniel. You don't see him around here anymore. I went through Roddy Piper. I went through... Jack Briscoe, you can go on, the list goes on and on. Ricky Steamboat, and if I have to, I will again, because the proof is right here. I am still the champion.
2: Talking about going through Roddy Piper. Dick Slater right here. Dick, Greg, every time Roddy gets around. You want to see what they
3: say about me in the wrestling magazines. What do you think they say about me? Hey, gang, get in here.
2: The one-man gang right here, right.
3: I got a few things to say. Boogie, boogie, woogie, for one. I'm not going to be lost for words myself. $5,000, you got of this man's money right back here. You know, Boogie Woogie, when you were a little Boogie, I'm talking about being a kid. Didn't your mother ever teach you not to steal, my friend? Well, this man has a remedy for that. I'm changing his appearance. I am changing his name. This man is going to be known as big and nasty from now on out. He is one-third of the Dirty Dozen.
0: There we hear from Greg Valentine, Dick Slater, and some growls and some grunts from the one-man gang, who apparently is one-third of the Dirty Dozen, which would make him four men? That would make each of them four men? Roman, what was going on there with Dick Slater's math? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, but one thing I do agree with them. Valiant's mom should have
1: told him not to steal. I mentioned that last, he stole $5,000. I was, I was on Slater's uh, side when he made that point, but I'm sure Cottle was happy this week that he didn't have a uh, one-man gang leaning directly over him, screaming like a raving lunatic like he did last week.
0: Yeah, well, look, Dick Slater has seemingly taken over the affairs of the one-man gang since Sir Oliver Humperdinck has been gone. I am thankful, in hindsight, that the name Big and Nasty did not end up holding up. One-Man Gang was just fine. Gary Hart adding Moon was was just fine, too. Big and Nasty would have been too much. George Gray, not so much. Big and Nasty, no. That just would bring me memories of Angelo Mosca, One-Man Gang was was just fine, was absolutely just fine. And he gets a match here against Mike Davis uh, and wins in two minutes and two seconds with a power slam, followed by two 747 splashes. And then we got to break, and it's time for our second set of In lieu of promos that were served up by Jerry Briscoe, who was wearing a nice suit, and the Mid-Atlantic television champion, Mike Rotundo, Dick Slater being the target of the pair, Still about his turn from a couple weeks ago. Briscoe was great. Rotundo was not, so I will spare you that. Instead, you'll hear this, because when we came back from break, Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat joined Bob to talk about the crazy brawls they've been getting into with Slaughter and Carnoodle all over the area, as well as confidently noting that they've mastered the Cobra Clutch. All right, Rick Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, right here, fans. Well,
5: I'll tell you what, you know, it's a pleasure to come out here and talk to these folks and stuff like that, because, you know, all the time they're coming up to Rick and myself, always asking us questions, you know, about, you know, what's going on with Slaughter and Cronoodle. Well, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. You know, people have been coming to the wrestling matches by the thousands and watching Youngblood and Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle clash. Not in no wrestling matches, unfortunately but actually bras, and I'm talking about bloodbaths, but when it's gonna stop, it's gotta stop sooner or later. I've been injured because of your Cobra Clutch. Now, incidentally, that's exactly what we're out here to talk about. You saw me earlier defeat my man with the sleeper hold right. that Johnny Weaver showed me. We've also showed you a way how to get out of the Cobra Clutch. Now, Sergeant Slaughter, Rick and I know exactly how to put your Cobra Clutch on, brother. And, and you, know you know
4: something, family. Bob? We'd like to end it. That that can be the latest news in Wrestling Illustrated that Youngblood and Steamboat know the Cobra Clutch.
2: <laughs> All right, fans. there. That, that's a bit of news, and I'm sure that's going to be a startling bit of news to Sergeant Slaughter and to Don Canodal. Well, Mike Rotundo, an outstanding young wrestler, and Mike... Uh, just as probably one of his most prestigious wins ever very recently in a big arena. We want to show you that and show you what happened. Let's pick up the action right here. This was an 18-man battle royal. When we pick up the action, we're down to three men left in the ring.
0: And there we heard from Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood one more time talking about Slaughter and Carnoodle. Ricky Steamboat and Greg Valentine, both big favorites of all of the New York-based wrestling magazines. Usually Ricky Steamboat would be in some sort of crisis if you look back at those magazines from the, the 70s and the early 80s. Always in some sort of crisis, but always on the cover, which was very important. Greg Valentine, his feuds up there against Bob Backlund, obviously his run as Intercontinental Champion, he got a lot of play in those magazines too, and, when he didn't stray too far, only going down a little bit further south into Richmond, into Charlotte, he was still very easy to cover. So we hear from Steamboat and Youngblood, and then at the end, we heard Bob transition into another VTR from last Sunday, January 30th, in Charlotte, the finish of the 18-man Battle Royal, where Mike Rotundo survived Dory Funk Jr. and Red Dog Lane to win. First, he eliminated Lane, and then Funk, after about another minute, That video served as a setup to take us right into Mike Rotundo facing Frank Monti. Monti came back into the area at the end of 1982 after stints in Mid-South and Southwest and making appearances for Paul Bosch in Houston a few times. Long story short here, a good competitive match. I think with today's eyes probably went on a little bit too long, but this was about getting Rotundo experience and Monty was a guy in the area that people absolutely knew. Monty missed the flying knee from the top rope, which allowed Rotundo to follow up with the airplane spin and the pin for the win in 7 minutes and 29 seconds, Roman. Yeah,
1: you know, there was a lot going on there, and I thought when Youngblood was talking about the Cobra Clutch that they were going to fight fire with fire, I thought it would have been a good idea to show the VTR from several weeks ago when young blood uh, ended up in the hospital as the storyline went, you know, he was actually in Japan, but I thought that would have been effective, but you know, they're going to fight fire with fire and Cobra and they know the Cobra clutch now. And, and uh, like you said, with the magazines, they were such a big deal back then. You know what you saw in the magazines, a lot of times you thought was the gospel. So if somebody made a proclamation in the wrestling magazines, or if the magazines pushed somebody, you wanted to believe it. So it was good that Steamboat mentioned that. And then Rotundo, uh, nice little push, showing, showing a clip of him winning a battle royal. So not only is he a champion, but now he outlasted 17 other men to win a battle royal, and
0: he ended up emerging victorious over Monty. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be one of our shorter shows. Why? Because of what happens after the Rotundo match, because as the replay of the match ends, The overdub to Don Ray's Got to Have Lovin' is playing pretty loud, but then we get louder as the overdub to Jimmy Valiant's Boy from New York City starts to play, and you really can't hear anything, but it's Jimmy Valiant and Jerry Briscoe being interviewed by Bob. After a little bit of ranting, Bob tosses it to a pre-taped interview from Terry Funk who is coming into the territory to take on the boogeyman.
3: I understand that Boogie Woogie Valiant is a Yankee from New York. Well, I know that's where the women are women, and so are the men. So when he steps into the ring with me, I am going to molest him not only because he's a yankee but because boogie woogie valiant is a detriment to my profession he is nothing but a clown a court gesture and i am going to deal with him as such
0: after terry funk wrapped up the music came back up jimmy valiant got his retorts in And then Jerry Briscoe got the final words that you were actually able to hear before the show wrapped itself up, Roman, and we were done for the day. But certainly a very, a very, uh, well, a very Terry Funk way to end things with that type of promo. Who else would say that they were going to molest somebody, especially a Yankee from New York? And if you didn't hear it at the very beginning, folks, I'm sorry. It was Jimmy Valiant's music, I wanted to cut that out, but Terry Funk, he hates the New York Jets as well, so add that to another thing that Terry Funk hates. He hates Dirty Dusty roads. that egg-sucking dog, he hates Jack Briscoe, he hates Oklahoma, and he hates Jimmy Valiant, the boogie-woogie Yankee from New York City
1: you know, funk for years has said he's middle-aged and crazy. And this interview was kind of crazy where, where men are, or women are men and men are women and women are women. You know, just, just like, all over the place. And to use the term, I'm going to molest him. Good gosh. I think he could have found, you know, found another way to say, you know, I want to kick his butt or whatever. Right? I just thought that was kind of a weird term, but Frank funk was always known for crazy promos. You know, I, I did a, Terry Funk compilation recently, and he was at a garbage dump with a gun in his hand in one of the promos, so he's, he's always been out there when it comes to promos.
0: I'm not sure if we're going to get a chance at that one. That was definitely one they showed in Georgia for the Funks against, I think it was Dusty Rhodes and maybe it was Bill Watts. They were having that, and at the bottom there's that scroll where it's King of the Death Matches, the Yellow Rose of Texas the world tag team champions, the world famous Funks. And it was awesome. And he was at the Amarillo dump because that's what he needed to do to remind himself of Atlanta, Georgia, and going back to face off against Dusty Rhodes. Terry Funk in this had the clean-shaven face, the really extra curly hair kind of bobbed up short, and the close-up, a real close-up, a real just kind of high-res, extra colorful close-up of his face made the whole thing just even more ridiculous. Obviously, Jimmy Valiant didn't like it, swore revenge before, as I mentioned, Jerry Briscoe got in some last words. And folks, that was it for the show, Roman. So this was really a front-loaded show. Yeah, and we had
1: two matches that I would have liked to see go longer from the arena, from the large Southern arena, which they wouldn't name And one thing I did want to add the Dory funk match where he went up against Tommy Gilbert. For those of you that like to see stiff and snug work, check out the European uppercuts funk through. I mean, they were noisy when they connected, but yeah, a lot of uh, stuff away from the TV studio and to the arena, I guess to kind of make people want to go to the arena, I guess they showed just a, just enough to kind of wet your
0: appetite. Absolutely. You know, they could show you more on TV, but if they showed you more on TV, why the heck would you go to the arena? You wouldn't spend out and spend your money and make it to one of those large southern arenas, whether you were in Charleston, South Carolina or Charlotte, North Carolina, or Greensboro, or Norfolk, or Roanoke, or Richmond, or wherever you were out there to see Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And after Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling was taped, of course we got worldwide wrestling. And here's the results from that show. They surely got a promo from Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood that was done in advance as Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle were inside the studio defeating Dizzy Hogan and Mike Davis. The champ, Brian Blair, made an appearance on TV defeating Ricky Harris. Mike Rotundo defeated Ken Timms. And Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Frank Monte.
6: Let's take time for this commercial message about the Mid-Atlantic wrestling events coming up in your area.
0: We start on Thursday night, February 3rd in Sumter, South Carolina at the County Exhibition Center. Mike Rotundo defeated Dizzy Hogan. Jack Briscoe defeated Paul Jones. And Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle by disqualification. Also that night in Norfolk at the Scope. Dory Funk Jr. defeated Sweet Brown Sugar. Jimmy Valiant defeated the one-man gang. Greg Valentine defeated the champ. And Roddy Piper defeated Dick Slater. The next night, Friday night, Charleston, South Carolina at County Hall. Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle defeated Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood in a Lumberjack match. Jack Briscoe defeated Dizzy Hogan. And Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Rick Harris in the top matches there. Also that night in Richmond at the Coliseum. The one-man gang defeated Jimmy Valiant by disqualification. Mike Rotundo defeated Dory Funk Jr. And Roddy Piper and the champ defeated Greg Valentine and Dick Slater. On Saturday night in Greensboro at the Coliseum, Dusty Rhodes defeated Gene Anderson. Jimmy Valiant defeated the one-man gang. Dick Slater defeated Jerry Briscoe. And Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood battled to a no contest with Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle. And I have a feeling we'll be hearing a lot more about this match coming up soon. On Sunday, February 6th in Fayetteville, North Carolina at the Cumberland County Civic Center, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated Dizzy Hogan in Sweet Brown Sugar. Jay Youngblood defeated Dory Funk Jr. in a bounty match. Greg Valentine and Dick Slater defeated Mike Rotundo and Jack Briscoe. And the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Rick Blair defeated Ricky Steamboat. On Monday in Greenville, South Carolina at the Memorial Auditorium, Jack Briscoe defeated Dory Funk Jr., Dick Slater defeated the champ, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle in a boot camp match, and NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defeated Mike Rotundo. On Tuesday, February 8th in Columbia, South Carolina at the Township Auditorium, Jay Youngblood defeated Dory Funk Jr., Dick Slater defeated the champ, the Briscoes defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle by disqualification, And NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Ric Flair defeated Ricky Steamboat. And that takes us back around to Wednesday, February 9th, 1983, Charlotte, North Carolina, the WPCQ Studios. And here is the WWE Network preview for next episode. February 12th, 1983, Terry Funk and Jerry Gray meet in a bunkhouse rules match and Jerry Briscoe is in tag team action. Here's the deal about the action I just mentioned. Funk and Gray obviously sent in from Florida, and no matter what happens in the ring, what happens out of the ring is far more notable. As I mentioned earlier on, I invite you to follow us across our many forms of social media, Instagram, Facebook, but especially on Twitter, where we are the most active, and interactive. Just search at Mid-Atlantic Pod. We would also really appreciate you following us on YouTube, youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod, and also consider supporting the show via Patreon. Just search patreon.com slash MidAtlanticPodcast. I also invite you to support all of the programs and content here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We don't condescend, and we are dedicated to preserving and accurately archiving the history of professional wrestling. And I'm proud that this show, produced by me, can be a part of that. For Roman Gomez, I'm Mike Sempervivi. Take us home, Bob Cottle and Tony Schiavone. Man,
3: that's going to do it My for this week. Lepers, we'll see you next week. And until <laughs> then,
0: so long that's for now. Me... Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling is a presentation of the JCP Sports Network and has been furnished to the station for broadcast at this time in exchange for commercial consideration.